0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Worldhopper's Guide to the Cosmere. I'm your host, Arian, and this week we return to our study of the Rosharan magic system, delving into what we learned about light from Rhythm of War and what it all might mean going forward. Spoilers ahead for the Stormlight Archive through Rhythm of War. Alright, so last week, we found our footing when it came to light on Roshar. We learned about the basic nature of stormlight, with its extra powerful band of blue, and how that can be extended to lifelight and Void Light. A lot of it was some basic light theory to get us grounded in the weirdness to come. So before we dive into anti-light and mixed light, which were the center of Navani's studies during Rhythm of War, I want to cover a few aspects of the various lights that I missed in the last episode. Namely, it's worth repeating that stormlight, just like voidlight and lifelight, is gaseous investiture. We've seen other forms of gaseous investiture in biochromatic breath and the mists on Scadrial. Now, because of their inherent magical nature, all of these lights have natural healing and growth powers. Most obviously, radiance and fused can heal themselves with their respective lights, and plants can grow under stormlight, to an extent. But alright, so, we talked a great deal about light and frequency last week. In Rhythm of War, we were introduced to Tower Light, which is the light used by the Sibling. It's a mixture of Stormlight and Lifelight. Similarly, Navani and Rabaniel invented Warlight, a blend of Stormlight and Void Light. When these mixed lights are refracted through a prism like we did to the Pure Lights, they split into two distinct rainbows of color aimed at different angles. One of those rainbows has the extra wide blue band of Stormlight, The other rainbow has the extra wide band of either green for lifelight or purple for void light. Again, this is weird to imagine, but just go with it. At this point, it's not physics, it's just weird magic. We saw in Rhythm of War that Navani couldn't just smash two lights together to get a hybrid. Under normal conditions, Stormlight and Voidlight simply don't mix. To the point where Rabaniel thought they were inherently opposites, but this is not true. So how did Navani pull off mixing the lights? And why did it involve singing? The answer lies in the title. In the rhythms, as in the Rhythm of War, as well as in tones. In addition to being made of light, Stormlight has a sound component. Now, sound is a wave, just like light, which means it has a frequency and a wavelength. And on Roshar, light and sound are tied together because of that. That's why Shallan's surge of illumination can control both the look of her illusions and the sounds. So... To understand this, we need to do a little bit of a dive into music. A piece of music, as we know, is made of notes. Each note has a tone or pitch. So when I sing, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do, I just sang eight notes at eight different tones. Or eight different pitches, if you want to call them that, but we'll call them tones. If I sang, Do, 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 I just sang three distinct notes, but I sang them all with the same tone. This sounds like I'm being pedantic, but it's good to have our terminology down. A given tone is a lot like a color. It's a wave with a unique frequency that gives it its characteristics. You can use a color multiple times, just like you can use a tone multiple times, but the color itself, just like the tone, is an inherent characteristic. So let's pretend that I have perfect pitch for a moment. And when I sing, everything is exactly on key. If I sing, do... My vocal cords are vibrating at one specific frequency. If I sing re, that's a different tone for a different frequency. In real-world Western music theory, we break these tones up into octaves. That's do, re, mi, fa, sol, ti, do. Roshar splits theirs into ten tones. Or at least the alethi do. There's a, a bunch of different ways to split up notes if you wanted to. Now Stormlight is associated with a single pure tone, which means one specific frequency. Similarly, Lifelight and Voidlight have their own pure tones. In order to combine Stormlight and Voidlight to get Warlight, Navani and Rabaniel needed to sing Honor and Odium's pure tones respectively, in the presence of the light. To create Tower Light for the sibling, Navani needed to sing Honor's pure tone, while the sibling sang the pure tone of Cultivation. But there is just one more thing. Rhythm. Because Navani didn't just sing the pure tone of Honor, She sang Honor's song, and song is a tone with a rhythm. And rhythm happens to be a property we can give to both light and sound. Now, the light within Stormlight Spheres obviously doesn't have a tone, but it does pulse to Honor's rhythm. Honor's rhythm is described as a consistent, structured beat. Cultivation's rhythm is more freeform, described as growing and changing. Odium's rhythm is more discordant, violent, and chaotic. Now, when the Rhythm of Honor and the Rhythm of Cultivation overlap, they merge to become the Rhythm of the Tower. When the Rhythm of Honor and the Rhythm of Odium overlap, they become the Rhythm of War. And when Stormlight and Voidlight are mixed while two singers are combining the Pure Tone of Honor with the Pure Tone of Odium, and singing to the Rhythm of War, the lights mix to form Warlight. And so on and so forth for Lifelight and any other mixes. So, what do these new lights do? Well, after Navani and the sibling combined honor and cultivation song to create the rhythm of the tower, the tower light that they created was able to fuel Erythiru. In a lot of ways, tower light is tied to the very essence of the sibling itself, similar to how Stormlight is the essence of spren and void light is the essence of the fused. It's all just different flavors of where the investiture came from, so when we're asking what does tower light do, tower light fuels things that are mixtures of honor and cultivation, because that's... That's just what the Sibling is, that's just what Tower Light is. But okay, we've got our three main lights. Stormlight, Lifelight, Life Light, and Void Light. We've got our three hybrid lights, thanks to the power of song. Tower light, war light, and the unnamed mixture of Life Light and Void Light. And while this is interesting, we haven't yet gotten to the explosive part, and that's because we still need to cover one more thing. Anti-Light. Or Anti-Light, I'm gonna go back and forth. So for a quick overview of what Anti-Light does, Anti-Void Light was able to permanently kill Rabaniel's daughter, who was effused. anti stormlight was able to permanently kill Fenderana, tests honor spren. When Light meets Anti-Light, they utterly destroy one another. Let's dive into why that is. So in the real world, there's matter and there's antimatter. An atom has protons with a positive charge, orbited by electrons with a negative charge. Now there also happens to exist antimatter, which involves... Antiprotons, that look a lot like protons except they have a negative charge, orbited by antielectrons, which look a lot like electrons except they have a positive charge. It's honestly not that spooky. Scientists realize that the way the math of charge works out, there's no real reason we couldn't have negative protons and positive electrons. So there's no reason why antimatter couldn't exist. So they found it, and they've begun learning how to isolate it. Now, I could be wrong because this is very much outside my field, but antimatter itself isn't all that wild because it mostly behaves the same way matter does. Just about all the physical chemical properties are the same. But the interesting part is when antimatter collides with matter. When a molecule of matter collides with a molecule of antimatter, they annihilate one another completely in a burst of energy. So let's then apply this to the lights. Just take on faith for now that we have stormlight and we also have anti-stormlight. Life light and anti-life light, void light and anti-void light. Interestingly, we've seen the most of anti-void light. King Gavilar had several spheres of it on the night of his feast, and he gave one to Zeth. This sphere eventually allowed Navani to crack the secret of anti-light. So, we have these lights. Just like there's nothing spooky about antimatter until it meets matter, there's nothing really spooky about anti-light until it meets its respective light, or creatures that are fueled by it. Anti-light fills spheres just like the regular light, pulses to the same rhythm just like the regular light, the only visible difference is that anti-light seems to suck in the light from the area around it, rather than give off a glow. So then we come to the mixture of light and antilight. When void light meets anti-void light, they annihilate one another, just like we predicted. When that annihilation happens under high pressure, it can lead to explosions, as we saw happen a couple times in Rhythm of War. This annihilation can also be used to permanently kill a being made of a certain type of investiture. As mentioned, Rabonio used anti-void light to permanently kill her daughter, freeing her from the cycle of fused returns. Let's take a quick step back to understand how and why that annihilation happens, because it's going to tell us even more about anti-light. Now remember what we said in the last episode. We talked about how light is a wave with a wavelength and frequency that are inversely proportional. When the wave oscillates between peaks and valleys, the wavelength is the distance between peaks. The greater the wavelength, the greater the distance between peaks, so the wave has a lower frequency. The higher the frequency, the shorter the distance between the peaks. Now, you can have many different waves interacting with each other in different directions, frequencies, and amplitudes. Now, think of a room with multiple sources of noise at different volumes, or a pool where several people are making waves. Those waves hit each other and interact in what's called interference. So imagine a wave with some arbitrary wavelength and frequency. Let's say a wavelength of 450 nanometers, which is blue. It oscillates between the points positive 1 and negative 1 back and forth, you know, to infinity. That means it has an amplitude of 1. At point A, it's at plus 1, then down towards 0, then negative 1, then back to 0, and then back to positive 1. And there's a distance of 450 nanometers between those two positive 1s. Now imagine you then strike that wave with another wave that's totally identical. Same wavelength, same amplitude oscillating between positive 1 and negative 1. They overlap perfectly. So they both hit plus one at the same time and both hit minus one at the same time. They engage in what's called constructive interference, forming one mega wave that has the exact same frequency, but that oscillates between positive two and negative two. Imagine you inverted that second wave. Same wavelength, still oscillating between positive one and negative one. But instead, when you put the two waves together, the second wave is hitting negative one when the first wave is at positive one. And the second wave hits positive one when the first wave is at negative one. If you then add these two waves together at every point, then at every point you get zero. That's destructive interference, and that's what's happening when light meets anti-light. They have the same frequency, but they're offset in such a way that the waves cancel each other out. That's all fine and good in theory, but how exactly do you make offset waves in such a perfect way? Because remember, for all intents and purposes, these two waves look almost identical. Same wavelength, same frequency, same amplitude, same... basically all their properties. So how exactly do we make one of them anti lights? So the answer is by using intent. This is Rhythm of War, Chapter 97, Freedom. If a tone and its destructive interference sounded the same, how could she sing one and not the other? She played the tone on a plate, humming along. She next played a tuning fork, listened to the tones of the gemstones, then came back to the plate. It was wrong barely off, even though the tones matched. She asked for, and was given, a file. She tried to measure the notes the plate made, but eventually had to rely on her own ear. She worked on the plate, filing off small sections of the metal and then pulling the bow across it, getting the plate closer and closer. She could hear the tone she wanted, she thought. Or was it madness? This desire to create an anti-sound... It took hours, maybe days. When it finally happened, she knelt, bleary-eyed on the stone floor at some unholy hour, holding a bow, testing her newest version of the plate. When she played this particular tone, Bow on Steel, something happened. Void light was shoved out of the sphere attached to the plate. It was pushed away from the source of the sound. She tested it again, and a third time to be sure. Though she should have wanted to shout for joy, she simply sat there, staring. She ran her hand through her hair. Which she hadn't put up today. Then she laughed. It worked. So Navani was able to push void light away from the sphere using Odium's tone with the intent to invert it. That's all it takes to invert the wave. Intent. She wanted to make the anti-tone of Odium, and because of that intent, she did. But how does that help us get anti-void light? After all, We've only ever seen Stormlight and Voidlight in their regular forms. As far as we know, there's no such thing as a pure, untouched light that can be influenced. So Navani creates it, by putting Voidlight into a Thalen vacuum tube. As we mentioned before, sound is a wave that requires a medium, air, and other physical mediums with a certain frequency. Putting something in a vacuum tube, where there is no air, means that sound can't flow through the air to that thing. And so for the first time, In the tube, the void light is not impacted by the constant vibration of Odium's rhythms. Then, by playing the anti-void light tone, which, as a reminder, sounds the same as Odium's regular tone but with the intent to invert, the unmarked light moves slowly through the vacuum until it touches a diamond, at which point it begins to get sucked in. Now the diamond is being affected by the sound waves of the anti-void light tone. And so, the first thing the light hears outside of the vacuum is the anti-void light tone, is the tone of anti voidlight Light. When Raboniel touches the Gemstone, she recoils at the pain, because Raboniel is fueled by Void Light, and the Anti-Void Light destructively interferes with that. And so this is precisely what makes Anti-Void Light and anti stormlight so dangerous. When Anti-Void Light touches Void Light, like when Raboniel stabs her daughter with the dagger, it annihilates the investiture, completely destroying it. Not simply sending it back to Braze to be reclaimed, but removing it from existence. Later in the book, Moash uses Anti-Stormlight to annihilate Fenderana, Teft's honor spren. Her death is described as her essence burning, flaring outwards like an explosion. In learning the secrets of Anti-Voidlight, Navani and Rabaniel have created a weapon capable of permanently killing both the Fused and the Radiant Spren. As we reach the climax of the first half of the Stormlight Archive, both sides have now been given the new tool to destroy their enemy permanently. An unprecedented step forward in the millennia-old war. All right, so let's just a quick step back. We've discussed stormlight, life light, void light That's three. We've discussed the mixtures of light, tower light, warlight, and the unnamed third. That's six. Finally, we've discussed how Navani created anti-void light, and the process holds true for anti-stormlight and anti-life light. In fact, given what we know, it should also be possible to have anti-tower light, anti-warlight. An anti-unnamed mixed light. So far, that's 12. Three lights, three mixes, three anti-lights, three anti-mixes. If we then assume that we can mix together all three lights, perhaps calling it Roshar light, and its opposite, anti-Roshar light, that brings us up to 14 total types of light that are theoretically possible. Now, Notably, the existence of anti-light at all suggests the possible existence of anti-investiture more broadly, Something that can permanently destroy the power of shards that is very, very dangerous. And in fact, that's a conversation we can revisit in a few years. But whew, that was a biggie. That was a long one. I hope that explains a little bit of the light. Uh, But yeah, thanks for listening to this episode of the Worldhopper's Guide. Uh, Let me know if you have any comments, counter-arguments, or thoughts about things I got right or wrong in the episode or the podcast in general, either in an email to worldhoppersguide at gmail.com or in a comment on the Reddit thread. If you like what you heard, Feel free to subscribe to the show or recommend it to your Cosmere-friendly friends. And if you enjoy the show and would like to support it, I'd really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as always, thanks to Kevin McLeod for the intro music. Thanks to Brandon Sanderson for these books, and thanks to you for listening. See you next time.